0: to the raised to Stay podcast. I'm Natalie Rungan, your host, and I'm so glad you are joining us. I pray that every episode introduces you to a Jesus you've always wanted to know and remind you that out of all the reasons we have to quit, we have one reason to stay, Jesus. Hey guys, I'm so glad you are joining me. Today, I'm going to be flying solo because I am talking about a topic that I have experienced firsthand, and I know you probably have too. If you have been in the church any length of time, then you have experienced what we're going to talk about, and that is church hurt. And when I look over the last 43 years in my life of being a pastor's kid being just a regular congregant, going into a church staff and now being another just congregant again, I can tell you a hundred percent, you are going to experience church hurt at any given time. And it's going to be painful. It's going to feel devastating. But we have to talk about it because if we just keep using the phrases, church abuse, church hurt, and nobody actually dives deep into what we're saying, then we're just throwing language around that may or may not make sense to even us. I think we use these buzzwords just to try to define what we are talking about, what we are experiencing And I want to challenge us to really educate ourselves on what it is that we are saying when we say we have been hurt by the church, abused by the church, or any phrase that you see that are buzzwords across social media today. I do believe deconstruction can be done healthy. I do believe that when we have been hurt, by religious frameworks that have caused shame, grief, things that are not of the Lord, that it is absolutely okay to tear down religious strongholds and rebuild on a healthy foundation. However, I'm not seeing that all the time. A lot of what I'm seeing are people using big words to talk about painful experiences. And then rather than walk through healing, they're just remaining hurt, and they're remaining in pain and deconstructing without any intention of rebuilding. So I thought in this podcast, I would put some language around the phrase church hurt, church abuse, but I'm adding a third one, church offense. Now, remember, I am one voice in this conversation, and I am by no means an expert when it comes to clinical diagnosis of trauma, abuse, and things that should be clinically diagnosed by a medical professional. However, when it comes to church culture, this has been my entire life. It is all I have known. It is what I have studied. It is what I have lived. And so take these words for what they are worth. Take this podcast for what it is worth. I am simply offering us some language when we are sitting in rooms with friends, with colleagues, with those we're interviewing, and they use the phrases church hurt, church abuse, gaslighting, what is actually being said. So if you want to hang with me for the next few minutes, I would love for us to dive into this together and really begin to ask the Lord, what is it that I have experienced? Has it been church abuse? Has it been church hurt? Or am I living offended? Has something happened to me or has something been said to me that I have simply not been able to let go of? And therefore, I am walking around just bleeding all over everyone and have no intention of actually healing because, to be honest, it feels good to have a reason not to go back to church. It feels good to be a victim sometimes because it validates my pain. Or do I want to be healed? And do I want a church community? I just don't know how to vocalize what I've experienced. And I just need someone to tell me that they believe me, that I have been hurt, that I have been offended, that I have been abused. And then to take the necessary steps forward into healing. Here's the reality, guys, is that the whole reason raised to stay exists is because I was under hurtful leadership. I didn't know how to put words to it, and when I was trying to tell people that I was being, you know, emotionally and psychologically maybe not abused but n- manipulated, it felt like everyone I talked to turned it around on me as if it was my problem. And so it began me on this, you know, journey of do I even want to stay in ministry if the last forty three years has looked. Like X, Y, and Z, what makes me think that the next 43 years are going to be any less painful or any less challenging? And so I found myself, you know, really asking the Lord. Why should I keep doing this? And it was from a place of wanting to quit that raised this stay came into fruition in 2019. And I found myself on the cusp of quitting. And the Lord really doing a work in me through 2019, where he began to have me write these black boxes that we now know on social media, where I was just telling you guys what the Lord was teaching me, not that I had arrived, not that I had figured it out, but maybe if these black boxes kept me going one more day, that maybe it would keep somebody else going one more day. And that is how Raised to Stay came about. The goal is that quitting wouldn't be our legacy, that our generation would not be so afraid of failure and fear and being hurt that we would just simply quit, but that we would literally let staying be our legacy, not in toxic churches, not in organizations that are hurting us, but staying abiding in Christ, staying connected to the vine so that he can prune us, he can grow us, he can shape us. And from there, we make a decision to stay and abide in Jesus. And if there is a church, that we find that is healthy and whole, and they are out there, that we would choose to also remain in community with those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, again, I said this at the beginning, if you are in ministry, if you are on a staff as a staff member, if you are a volunteer, or if you are simply a congregant showing up, you are going to be hurt by the church based off what your expectations are and based off the fact that the church is made up of fallen people. When we say the church did not hurt us, but that people did. That's a tricky conversation because the church is made up of people. So of course, when we get hurt by people, we associate that with the church because it happened in the walls surrounded by people. And so we have to know what we're saying when we tell people, no, you weren't hurt. People hurt you. The church didn't hurt you. Well, that's true, except that it happened at the hands of people in the church and people make up the church. And so we have to acknowledge not only have we been hurt, but we've probably been responsible for hurting other people intentionally and unintentionally because we are human and we all say and do things that hurt one another. So when I began to research the technical and clinical uh, definitions of abuse, church hurt, church offense, I realized that they really are different. Though if we let Offense and hurt take root. It can begin to take the shape of abuse because now we're letting it daily impact our lives. So let's take this word or phrase "church abuse" and let's really look at what the definition is according to the Webster Dictionary and different, um, you know, uh, things that have come out in the past few years to help us put language to this. So abuse is an inappropriate treatment of an individual. It includes physical, psychological, emotional, and sexual. Physical abuse is the use of any physical force that may result in bodily injury, physical pain, or impairment. Now, spiritual abuse happens when someone uses spiritual or religious beliefs to hurt, scare, or control you. And this can involve a cult as well. So many of us would say, yes, I know someone who experienced that growing up. Yes, I have experienced it myself. I have been physically, emotionally, sexually, psychologically abused in the church. Now, this is devastating. This is what we saw many years ago in the Catholic church where people were coming forward. We have seen this in the hashtag church 2 movement where people were coming forward following the Me Too movement and saying, yes, my youth pastor sexually abused me or sexually assaulted me. I was receiving inappropriate text messages from my senior pastor, my worship pastor. And it was coming quickly as people began to feel freedom to share their stories. This was amazing because what it did is it opened Opened up all of this exposure to churches that were truly hurting people. And what we don't want to do is silence the voices of those who have truly been abused, because while they might be rare, It's more prevalent than it should be, not only in our homes or in our workplaces, but in the church. There is no excuse for abuse in the church, and yet it continues to happen at the hands of people who call themselves pastors. And so we cannot deny that it's happening, and we cannot blame people for not wanting to go back into churches that are supposed to protect us that are supposed to preserve us and are actually causing us physical, sexual, psychological, emotional harm. And so church abuse, though I do believe is not as prevalent as we might think it is in terms of how often we see it used, it is happening and it has to be stopped. But the only way it can be stopped is if we actually believe the victims who are coming forth and we also stop just throwing this phrase around as if it's happening every single minute of every single day and silencing or muting the voices of those who are truly crying out for help. The other part of this then is church hurt. And when I think about church hurt, I would personally say, that when I look in my DMs, this is more so of what we are seeing in the church. The biblical counseling coalition definition of church hurt is the painful experience of being exploited in the context of a collective local church where spiritual language or even scripture may be leveraged to justify wrongdoing and protect offenders. So, this is where we see our narcissistic leaders, our um, toxic leaders, the leaders who say things to us in meetings like, I'm the only one you can trust and everyone thinks this about you, but yet they can't tell you who. Um, they're using fear of getting fired, fear of losing a position. If you're a volunteer, you might be under another volunteer who is using this very direct language to instill any type of fear in you that if you say anything, if you go to anyone that you're going to lose your job or you're going to lose your position. Now, when I decided to start raised to stay, I was experiencing more of this type of leadership where I was, you know, confused about some things, I was getting a lot of miscommunication, misdirection, and I was trying to get help, but you know, the Lord kept reminding me that you can't scream fire if people don't want to see smoke. And unfortunately in the church, because we do need talented leaders, we do want leaders who have authority and who are really good at what they do, we aren't as quick to fire them because we need them. And so when we hear that there is a leader who is not necessarily behaving well, we often will defend their actions. Well, you know, they're just, they're in charge of a lot of people. Um, they have a lot on their plate. Their intentions are good. And what happens is we begin to see a wake of destruction behind these leaders who are causing church hurt. We start to see high turnover in staff. We start to hear rumblings of this leader causing more damage. And the more that people begin to speak up, there becomes a common denominator. And typically that common denominator isn't just a common denominator by accident. It's because that person is causing harm within the church walls. But if those in leadership who have the power to fire this person continues them to just do what they've been doing, we will start to lose people quickly. And the sad part is, is we lose those people, not only on our staff or on our volunteer teams, but they simply don't come back to church because they don't feel protected. They don't feel safe. And so they not only don't come back to our church, but there's a likelihood they won't go back to any church. I'm passionate about this because I do believe that most church hurt comes from people who are intimidated or fearful that they're going to lose their position or status. And so rather than championing those behind them, those um, who they are raising up, they see them as competition and begin to squash them. They begin to kind of, you know, see that there's something in them. And rather than call it up higher, they begin to speak down to it. Um, And there is a a part of this that is on all of us. We all do this when we feel like we might lose something, we start to try to control something. And I I believe church hurt is oftentimes from a place of control um, from those in leadership. And so we have to be very careful when we define church hurt even, because that can be borderline abuse depending on the psychological damage that it is doing to a person. So I want to say very very clearly, that church hurt will oftentimes look and feel like abuse because it's borderline psychological or spiritual abuse. And I think it's important that we talk about that. And I also think it's important that our church leadership is open to hearing from congregants and volunteers and staff people to pay attention to any patterns that might be surrounding one person or one organization or one sector of the ministry that might not be as healthy as we thought that it was. Now, here's what church hurt is. Not church hurt is not accountability in love when we are being held accountable by a leader who is really working for our best interest, who knows us, who invests in us, who is mentoring us, who is modeling godly leadership to us. Church hurt is not being held accountable. Like we're not going to let you, you know, be on the platform leading worship if you're living with your boyfriend. Well, that's a standard that the church has. And we believe enough in the sacred um, institution of marriage that we're not going to allow that to happen. So that's not abuse. That's a boundary. And if you're going to that church and that's a boundary, that's one that you have to respect. Disagreements or minor arguments are not church hurt, though it can be hurtful, or it can be uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that someone is intentionally hurting you because they disagree with you or you're having a hard conversation. Miscommunication, though it is a pain and it can lead to misunderstanding, it also is not church hurt. It is something that has to be worked out and talked through and we can't just run away from it because it's hard. We need to dive deeper, get to the bottom of it and really have those conversations we don't wanna have. Humble confrontation is not church hurt. When you are confronted in love through Matthew 18, and it isn't, you know, dangerous, and it isn't somebody who's trying to hurt you, humble confrontation is actually what we need to be doing in the church. And gentle correction, when we are gently corrected by someone, that also is not church hurt. Though I agree, not comfortable, definitely not church hurt. Now, you might be saying, Natalie, I'm listening to you. And I'm reading your black boxes. And sometimes I feel like you're gaslighting us. Like you're telling us that what we experienced is not real. And to that, I would say, I am so sorry that I have ever made anyone feel that way because it's never my intention, though I do... Challenge us, I would always believe someone if they told me they were being abused or actively hurt in the church. So, this word gaslighting is a word that I believe as leaders we need to know because it's a word that is being used in um, tandem with church hurt and church abuse. So, gaslighting is manipulating someone. Um, by using psychological methods and to questioning their own sanity or powers of reasoning. So when someone comes in your office and they say, I'm being abused or I'm being hurt, we have to ask so many detailed questions to get to the bottom of what this person is really saying to us. Because it could be that they're terrified, and they're speaking in code and they don't know how to say what is actually happening. Or it could be that they're just nervous that they're going to get in trouble. And so they're trying to dance around it. We cannot dismiss accusations of hurt or abuse because we need to make sure it's not actually happening. Looking at someone and saying, no, you're fine. You're overreacting. That's not what they meant. Um, I think you just don't know them well enough. Um, I think you're, you know, really just seeing things that aren't there. That's examples of gaslighting. And the church is really good at it. And we're also really good at doing it to ourselves. No, that didn't really happen. They didn't really mean that. And so because we're afraid of pushing it too far, we're afraid of getting into conversations that may hurt us or get us fired, we tend to not only gaslight each other, but we gaslight ourselves. To go further into this definition, gaslighting happens when an abuser tries to control a victim by twisting their sense of reality. An example of gaslighting would be a partner doing something abusive and then denying it happened. Gaslighting can occur in romantic, platonic, and family relationships, or even at work. And unfortunately, even in the church, I do believe this has happened to me before where I have gone in and said, I'm concerned about something, and I am met with a but you know, but you're just, you know, you're just this or you're just that. And it's devastating when you really need somebody to listen to you and they refuse to out of inconvenience or failure to see it. And unfortunately, I do believe that this is happening in the church when it comes to very influential leaders who are in an unhealthy season. And when we try to report it, we are just kind of met with an overall sense of it's all gonna be fine, just let time handle it. And we have to be better. We have to be better at this um, in believing people when they truly are hurt or abused. And if they're not, the Lord will shed light on it. You know, if, if somebody is overreacting or someone is trying to cause trouble, we have to trust that the Lord's going to reveal that but I would say nine times out of 10, that's not the truth. I think people really are discerning things and they're seeing things and they're coming to people that they're supposed to be able to trust and asking for them to listen. Um, and you know, I'm learning this myself that as Christians, we're not always the best listeners. And so I do feel we owe it to one another to hear the story out and investigate if we really believe that someone is in danger. This third category, church offense, is an injury or wrong done to one. And if you want to look up some examples of offense, you can look up 1 Samuel 25, 31 and Romans 5, 15. An offense is a stumbling block or a cause of temptation. Other scriptures, Isaiah eight fourteen, Matthew 16, 23, Matthew 18, seven, we see church offense or offense in general popping up all over scriptures. And when the Bible speaks of offense, it's referring primarily to some act or series of Acts, which leads one another into sin. The difference between church offense and church abuse and church hurt is that church offense involves two people. It involves both sides. It's not something happening to us. It's something that we're choosing to pick up and sin is happening on both sides of the one causing the offense and the one picking up the offense, We do this a lot in church in that somebody will come to us and tell us something that's happened to them and we immediately pick up their offense. So now we're not just walking around with our own offenses, but now we're carrying each other's offenses. And this is definitely where we start to see sin creep into the church. So I'm not talking about abuse or narcissistic harm. I'm talking about things that happen in everyday staff situations or everyday relational things where someone brings us the problem. We listen to what they have to say. And instead of calling them higher to healing, we're now all carrying that same offense. And this is sin. And it's really hard because we have justice buttons and we want to make sure people are protected and that our friends aren't hurt. But really what we're doing is we're causing greater division within the body or within, in the church or within the organization by agreeing with the offense rather than digging deeper into the truth and really finding out, like what's happening in that situation. A really good book that I would love for us all to read at some point is The Bait of Satan, Living Free from the Deadly Trap of Offense that was written by John Bevere. One of his quotes in here of many that I highlight in my own book, as well as highlight in his book, are many are unable to function properly in their calling because of the wounds and hurts that offenses have caused in their lives. They are handicapped and hindered from fulfilling their full potential. Most often it is a fellow Believer who has hurt them. Now, you think about the church, we're just like a bunch of offended people running around a lot of the time because we haven't dealt with the offense. It just kind of grows and roots into bitterness. And so we're being controlled by that offense. Every conversation, every interaction, every relational uh, situation is now clouded by this offense. He also says in the same book, we construct walls when we are hurt to safeguard our hearts and prevent any future wounds. We become selective, denying entry to all we fear will hurt us. We filter out anyone we think owes us something. We withhold access until these people have paid their debts in full. We open our lives only to those we believe are on our side. Now think about this. We get like a team on our side, right? Like you heard what they did, you heard what they said, you agree with me, right? Like this was wrong, they need to be fired, they need to be taken care of. And so we start building an army against one another and we no longer will receive constructive criticism. We are really shy to receive accountability because we just assume that this is going to happen to us every single time we trust someone that we're gonna get hurt. And this is where offense becomes a sin because now we're gossiping, Now we're causing division in the church. Now we are working against the Lord and unity. And this is where it gets really slippery because we want people to hear our side. And yet we're talking to all of the wrong people. I remember learning that you would complain up and you encourage down. So when you're in an organization and something isn't going well, that you would never go to somebody on your level and complain about the person who is above you or complain about a situation because they can't do anything about it. But when you go up, those are the people who can do something about it. Now, here's the thing. When you're in a worldly organization, typically something is done about it. There's a firing, there's a meeting, there's something that happens that rectifies the situation. However, in the church, it's harder to get things done the higher you go up because the church is not a business organization. So we have pastors in leadership who have not been trained in organizational behavior. They have not been trained how to be true leaders of a massive organization. And so suddenly they find themselves with 200 staff underneath them. And there are very real worldly things happening within their organization and they haven't been trained properly how to heal them or how to handle them in a way that makes all parties heard and also handles things from an HR standpoint. Human resources is in our churches for a reason to help handle the humans who resource the organization. So though people get very frustrated when church is referred to as an organization, we are still a bunch of humans that are providing a resource to our communities. So if we are human and we are also going to um, you know, be doing things that are going to provide services, we have to have protection. And if there are pastors and leaders in place who don't know how to do that, this is where we start to see that hurt and abuse start to come into play because things that could have naturally been nipped in the bud pretty quick They aren't because now we're balancing this. Well, we're not of the world, but we're in it. We're also, you know, Christians, but we're also human. There gets to be this really muddy water. And I think that's where we lose a lot of people is in that translation of, are we an organization? Are we a church? Are we a little bit of both? And how do we honor and respect Biblically, but also culturally in that, in that way. The truth is guys though, that being held to a holy standard is not gaslighting and being sat down to grow up isn't abuse, but it all comes down to how it's being handled. It all comes down to how that is being communicated. If it's being blasted like gossip, well, that's not good, right? Like if you're being sat down for something and then suddenly the whole staff knows it, And, you know, that's not good. Um, And being held to a holy standard, I mean, that's just biblical, right? But the way that things are said to us, the way things are spoken to us, it matters. And so if we're not doing that well within the church walls, it could absolutely be translated as abuse or hurt, depending on how that is being communicated, Some challenges for those of us who are in leadership in the church right now is that people want power without boundaries. So we can come in and we can say, well, I don't want anybody to hurt me. I don't want anybody to tell me things I don't want to hear. I don't want to be held accountable. I just want to do what I want to do and get in and get out. That's not a biblical way to come into the church. So we have to understand that we're going to be leading people all the time who want power, want, they want platform, they want position, but they don't want to have boundaries put in place. And so we're navigating this mucky water now of how do we establish those boundaries without it looking like we're trying to hurt someone or trying to abuse someone. And how can we you know, prevent people from picking up offenses? The truth is we can't, there's just no way for us to do that. And also because of social media, we have people who are coming into our midst who want a lot of visibility, but they don't want discipleship. They want to be given a microphone, a podcast, a large following, but they don't want to be discipled to learn how to actually mentor and disciple those people that they are leading. And that becomes a very dangerous game, especially if we are hiring people who are still hurt, still wounded, still offended. We have let entitlement and jealousy and unrealistic expectations and pride keep us from walking in humility, love, and self-control. We have to remember that when we're holding each other to a higher standard, that condemnation, that comes from people, but conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. So when people are talking about being hurt in the church, we have to dig a little deeper to find out what actually hurt them. Were they feeling condemnation from people because of something that they did or said, or are they just feeling conviction and they didn't like the way that felt? We certainly don't wanna be hiring people into our churches who don't want to be held accountable or don't understand what conviction feels like, because conviction is obviously a very painful process for all of us. We have to remember that iron is sharpening iron all the time, and it hurts. When we say yes to being in the family of God, we are committing to allowing iron to sharpen iron, and our swords hit when we challenge one another to love more deeply as Christ loves us. That is the beauty of conviction that when we are held to a higher standard, that we are feeling that conviction to grow as believers in Christ and to be more like Jesus. But sometimes loving one another is correcting one another. And if we're constantly afraid that we're going to offend or hurt someone, we're gonna be less likely to do that. Proverbs 27, six says, "'Wounds from a sincere friend "'are better than many kisses from an enemy.'" We need to be thankful that we have people in our lives who love us enough to hold us accountable. You know, running Raise to Stay has been really hard because I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I say things that need to be taken down. I know that I have caused um, confusion in some of my wording. And thank God I have women in my life and pastors in my life who will call me and say, Natalie, I think you should take that one down. I don't think your heart is reflected in that. And I need to listen to that. I need to weigh it out. I need to really discern is this something that I'm feeling convicted about that I need to take down? Or should I just say that it's a misunderstanding? You know, we really need to know if we're going to be leading ministries and, you know, in charge of things, that we have a a heart that is willing to be corrected and not to always be on the defense waiting for someone to offend us. So accountability is really important, especially now that I'm not under the covering of a staff of a church and I'm doing Raise to Stay kind of on my own as an independent ministry. It's even now more important that I have people in my life who will push their sword up against mine and say, I really don't think that that was wise what you said. and, And here's why. Our biblical response to all of this, whether we've been abused, wounded, you know, hurt, offended, is John 15, 1, 4, to remember that Jesus is the vine and his father is the gardener, and he is cutting off every branch in us that bears no fruit. And we have to know that's just part of this, uh, that while every branch that does bear fruit, he will prune it so that it will become even more fruitful. We are already clean because of the word that he has spoken to us. So we have to remain in him and he will remain in us, but no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain on the vine. Neither can we bear fruit unless we are remaining in him. So if we're going into ministry thinking we're gonna do this all on our own and have it all figured out and it's just gonna be sunshine and rainbows all the time and we can just do whatever we want whenever we want, that is going to go south for us very quickly because that is not a biblical model of being in ministry. So we have to walk this fine line all the time of humility, grace, and love, and mercy, and truth, but also knowing that because we are humans and because we are going to hurt people, that we are going to have to also be able to define what is happening in our lives and help others do the same through the lens of Jesus, not through this deconstruction movement that just so happens to be the, next hot thing on the internet. So it's really important that we're staying abiding in Jesus all the time. You know, if raised to abide was actually like something that sounded good, that would make more sense to what raised to stay is. I'm asking us to abide in Christ, not stay in a church just for the sake of staying in a church. Remember, when we get to heaven, there are no like awards for who stayed at the church the longest or who stayed in a church the longest. We're going to be asked, did you feed my sheep? Did you love people the way that I love you? You know, did you go and make disciples? Those are going to be the questions that we're going to be asked. Uh, not how long did you stay in a church? So raised to abide, though it isn't very publishable or good for merch, that's really the heart behind this, that we cannot attach perfect, you know, a perfect God to imperfect people. And yet we will do it all the time because we're human, and it's what we do. To conclude this entire podcast, you guys, I wanna start off by saying that abuse cannot be tolerated. If there is abuse happening in the church, we have to weed it out and get it out now. There cannot be any second chances, especially when it's coming to true clinical trauma and abuse at the hands of pastors and leaders. And if you call me and you tell me that you're being abused and you're underage, you better believe I'm gonna be on the phone immediately trying to get you help. And if you're an adult and you're telling me that you're going you're being abused, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to call the cops, right? Because abuse is not tolerated. And the fact that we have organizations and churches willing to hide it, um, it only tells me how evil this world really is. And it is vital that it gets rooted out so that it cannot continue to have life and breath. We also have to acknowledge that hurt is real. And so when people tell us that they have been hurt by the church, our response can't be, you know, comparing wounds, rather listening to what has happened to them and really trying to understand how we can better serve them um, as the church, especially if they're coming to us from another body. And finally, offense is a choice. We choose whether or not we're going to pick up a fence and we're going to carry it. For some of us, it means we're going to have to leave somewhere and go somewhere healthier so we're not continuing to sin um, in the present place that we're at. And that's a lot of humility to be able to say, this is just not a good fit for me. For my health, I need to go and find somewhere where I'm going to be treated better and I can heal. And that's hard when we want to prove that We have seen something or that something's wrong. We just have to go and trust that God is going to handle it on his terms, on his timing, and that we have no control over how and when that happens. When we're sitting across from people, I just want to give us some questions that we can ask one another and even ourselves as we are trying to decide, have I been abused? Have I been hurt? Or am I simply picking up offenses? Number one is, have we sought clinical or pastoral counsel regarding what has happened to us in our lives? Most of the church hurt we are experiencing right now is not because of something that necessarily happened directly to us in a specific moment, but a culmination of things that have happened over time that have made us feel rejected, unworthy, um, and at the hands of Christians. And so we find ourselves suddenly at 35, 40, 45 angry at one church or one person because we haven't dealt with the things that have happened to us in the last 20 years. So the question is, have you sought clinical or pastoral counsel to really help dive deep into that? Have you pursued spiritual direction? Spiritual direction is really beautiful, especially for people who are a little bit skeptical of clinical counseling. It's someone who has degree to sit down with us and help us really map out spiritually what God is doing through a series of events and circumstances, who will pray with us and and give us some spiritual practices to really dive into our walk with the Lord and our own journey with Jesus? Have we been diagnosed as a trauma victim? You know, I really just can't stress this enough that if you have been literally abused, like truly clinically abused, there are so many things that have to happen to bring you to full healing that go hand in hand with healing with Jesus, medication, counseling, psychotherapy, whatever that looks like, we need to know if we really are a trauma victim and what steps to take to find healing. And what steps are we taking towards personal healing? Are we even wanting to be healed? I, I wrote a black box about that. You know, Jesus looking at people in the Bible and saying, do you want to be healed? Um, what are you willing to do to be healed? What are some triggers that we can be aware of when we are interviewing, when we are under a new boss? What are some triggers that we need to know get us? I'll tell you one of mine. Guys, I don't do well with ambiguous text messages from people who are in leadership over me, particularly women. When I get a random text message that says we need to talk, My fight or flight kicks in and I am like, nope, that is not going to happen until you tell me what we're talking about. So it's really important that we understand our triggers so that we know how to communicate to our future bosses and those that are going to be over us in churches, what we're still healing from. And it could be as simple as when you send me a text message, could you please tell me what we're gonna be meeting about and let me know so I can prepare my heart and not lay in bed awake for two nights straight thinking I'm gonna get fired. So that's just one example of triggers that we need to be made aware of. And what makes us feel like we are ready to enter back into ministry after we have been hurt or really truly offended? What are we doing to kind of go back into ministry more healthy than we left? Because remember guys, how we leave a place How we leave a situation is how we're going to enter into it. And finally, my question for all of us is, do we want to be healed? In John 5, Jesus is asking that question. Do we want to live a life of healing or do we want to live a life of offense? Do we want to always look back over our experience at the church and just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Or are we willing to contend? Are we willing to contend a hundred percent for the church and for the people of God and for our own relationship with Jesus? Um, or are we willing to just throw it all away? And I'm not as much as I have seen in my 43 years. I am not ready to throw it all away. I am not willing to say that every church is bad, that every pastor is an abuser, that every leader is narcissistic. I'm not, I'm not ready to have that conversation. And so, Raised to Stay exists for us to have this safe space for us to really dialogue about the things that are crushing our souls and breaking our hearts. But yet at the same time, Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected and mocked and cheered one day as he's walking into a city and jeered the next. He knows what it's like to have a Judas. He knows what that's like, and he's not leaving us. He promises us that he will not leave us. So I wanna challenge us all as we continue on into this culture that is going to easily ask us to walk away from Jesus and the church. I just wanna challenge us all to put our eyes back on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, knowing it was death, for the joy set before Him, knowing that He would have to die But for us to have eternal life with Him, He went to that cross and He did it and He scorned the shame. You know, we have to remember that what Jesus thought might kill Him, that cross is actually the beginning of His resurrection. And the very thing that we feel like might kill us is the beginning of our resurrection as well. And so that's why we have to keep going. I wanna say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast so far. We are in a new series. It's just super exciting to be part of a reconciled church. And I pray that each of us will come to our own conclusion that God is good, that Jesus does have every promise lined up for us. And those promises are yes and amen. And what he finishes you know, everything that he starts, he's going to finish. And so I just want us to be able to walk in those promises and not in our hurt. So thanks again for listening to the Raised to Stay podcast, you guys. I'm just so grateful that we get to journey together and I'll see you on the other side.